the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. There has been a long, steady drumbeat, drums sounding against any notion of the inclusion of Christ or Judeo-Christian ethics in the public square. Uh, Again, this notion that we've been making this slow shift from what had been the view, the vision of our founding fathers of creating a nation where there could be freedom of religion, which heretofore our founding fathers had not quite experienced in England, to an atmosphere today, uh, some 250, 300 years after our founding, that seems to be taking on a decidedly different atmosphere, that of freedom from religion. To get some insights on this, our special guest tonight as we lead off the program is Larry Towton. Larry is the founder and executive director of Fixed Point Foundation, an initiative dedicated to defending and promoting Christianity in the public square. He's also the author of a new book entitled The Grace Effect, How the Power of One Life Can Reverse the Corruption of Unbelief, newly published by Thomas Nelson and available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as, no doubt, on Amazon.com. And Larry, great to have you with us on the program tonight. Delight to be with you. Why, this is interesting as we sort of watch, um, I don't know, I guess, I guess in many respects it's sort of the proverbial uh, frog in the kettle effect that we're seeing here in America today, where slowly and ever surely there seems to be this march, this parade, at least in the public arena, uh, where we've moved from the notion, as I said earlier, of a nation that provides freedom of religion to those that are now trying to recraft our nation into one uh, that provides freedom from religion. Well, it's like so many other things in our our culture that are gradually being redefined as they are uh, amputated uh, from their Christian origin. That is to say, from the from the anchor that that had once held fast uh, not just our our culture but our very vocabulary. So, for example, um, uh, tolerance is now understood to to mean. Um, diversity is meant to to uh, mean uh, uh, just the celebration of differences, no matter what they are. Suppose, uh, as opposed rather to um, uh, a traditional American view, which is born out of uh, out of Christianity, that we seek to overcome um, our differences uh, for the sake of a, a uh, of one cause. Um, and these are the kinds of things that are happening where we're redefining. Um, redefining the roles of men and women, all kinds of things. And as you have said, there is a, there's a kind of slow leak, as I like to put it, of Christianity out of the culture. And in my book, The Great Effect, I'm trying to give a glimpse to readers through, through a narrative, through a very compelling, very real story of, of my daughter, of what a culture looks like when it is completely led of Christian influence. 
And, of course, a lot of this is done with this notion, as those in the public square that are pushing this would try to promote, uh, that we don't want uh, any undue religious uh, in, uh, influence on anyone, that we're trying to create a society uh, of great tolerance here, and that the Christianity, for example, has a history of tremendous intolerance, and they will typically quote things like uh, the Salem witch trials of, of American history and folklore, um, and perhaps more history than folklore now that I think of it, but uh, from that perspective as well as to things like, uh, you know, what happened with the Inquisitions in Europe, etc., etc., and and they use many of these events to try and argue this notion that Christianity in in particular, and maybe its companion religion, Judaism, are are vile, evil, oppressive religions, and they're just simply trying to create an atmosphere of greater tolerance. Well, uh, that is just a bunch of sheer nonsense. Um, the 20th century was an experiment in secularism, and it was a century that saw well north of 100 million people dead. Now, that is, that is more than all of the war all previous centuries combined. That's not just the you know, quote-unquote Christian offenses. That's the was Muslims in the mix and Hindus and, and, uh, and Judy, all of it. None of them come even close to the horrors that we saw that were perpetrated by secular regimes in the 20th century. Um, it wasn't uh, it wasn't um, uh, the Jews who were uh, who were wiping out um, Germans. It was uh, uh, it was uh, a fascist, a, a radically secularist uh, regime that was pushing these people into gas chambers, and um, you know saw uh, globally about. Million people dead. Um, and this, this attempt um, at revisionist history uh, is something we all need to be very vigilant of, um, because uh, quite clearly Christ commanded uh, that his message to be advanced with the sword. Uh, Richard Dawkins, the the poster boy for um, atheism these days is a guy who makes these types of arguments. Well, as I, the point I've made to him is, you know, if I, if I kill you in the name of science, does that make me scientific? Well, of course not. Um, any more than somebody who says that they do something in the name of Christ. Christ himself predicted uh, in John chapter 16 that people would kill uh, in the name of God, uh, would do these kinds of things. We, we know this, um, but we have to, to discerning about this. And I, and I will say this. Even the radical secularists, you know, who are making these kinds of arguments that Christianity is dangerous, they are at least making some subtle distinctions um, uh, whether they want to acknowledge them or not. Notice that they're saying these things mostly about Christians, who are, as a rule, a tolerant people. Notice they're not saying them a, a whole lot about Muslims. Uh, 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 people who are known to be quite intolerant of criticism of, of, of their beliefs. Christopher Hitchens, also a famed atheist, and I write about this in my book, The Grace Effect. He and I, uh, he's a friend of mine, somebody I've debated publicly uh, and privately. We drove from his apartment in Washington, D.C., all the way to my home in Birmingham, Alabama. Along the way, we studied the Gospel of John. This was a follow-up to um, a challenge I'd made to him a couple of years before. I assure you, Christopher Hitchens does not get in the car 
with a Muslim in a bulky overcoat. Uh, you know, so he is making some distinctions, um, and uh, you know, uh, uh, about Christians, whether or not they want to acknowledge this publicly or not. We understand what the effect of grace is. Uh, we understand that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that none should perish but all have everlasting life. So we understand the effect of grace. But now let's talk about this from the perspective of your experience in uh, in traveling to the former Soviet Union, the Ukraine to be specific, known. Uh, uh, by many in that part of Eastern Europe, and uh, the former Soviet Union is kind of the breadbasket of the Soviet Union, and um, the efforts of your family to adopt a young Ukrainian orphan by the name of Sasha. Uh, yes, um, I, I, I'll let me back up just a wee bit and, and say this. I think that we as Christians don't fully understand and appreciate grace, and, and let me explain what I mean by that. We speak of grace quite rightly as that thing which changes us, which transforms us in an instant when we repent of our sins and we receive Jesus Christ. Uh, that's what we mean when we speak of grace. But that's, that doesn't mark the outer boundaries of God's gracious activities. There's another form of grace that he gives, and it's, it's what we refer to as common grace. And and common grace is that, that grace, you know, Jesus says in, in the Sermon on the Mount that God sent his rain and the sun, you know, on the, on the just and the, and the wicked alike, you know, that his goodness overflows even to those who, who, um, who don't believe. What I'm calling the grace effect is a, a particular a kind of, of manifestation of common grace, meaning this, that it's a kind of grace that God gives to a culture only when there is a significant presence of his people in it. And so my argument in the book is this. You know, my wife and I, we travel to Ukraine. Um, I think your, your uh, listeners will find very compelling this story in, in this book, The Grace Effect, and how um, we're uh, in this process, as you quite rightly mentioned, to, to try to adopt Sasha. And I've been in that part of the world many times. I've been in Ukraine four or five times before this, Eastern Europe, Hungary, the Czech Republic, Poland, and so forth. So I was not unfamiliar with that part of the world. I was familiar with its business practices and the corruption. But I guess I was naive enough to believe that we wouldn't experience it to the degree that we experienced it when it involved the life of a child. Every single uh, official that we encountered, we had to bribe. And this this begins to raise some interesting questions um, about why is it that they have such a disregard for the least of these, for the widowed, the orphaned, the sick, um, the elderly? Uh, is it because um, Americans are just innately better? Well, no. Uh, scripture would tell us that human nature is the same the world over. But the, the, the uh, public discourse in this country, indeed throughout the West, has been gentled by the grace effect, meaning by the presence of God's people, our society has been made a little more tolerable. And if we haven't been made good uh, by it, we've been made a little less evil than we might be. And the result is we, we do have a concern for our poor. I'm Craig Roberts, back with more as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And back to our conversation tonight, we are visiting with 
the founder and executive director of Fixed Point Foundation, Larry Taubin, the book, The Grace Effect, How the Power of One Life Can Reverse the Corruption of Unbelief. We've often heard this uh, false promise of socialism. We're kind of seeing some of this uh, play itself out, I think, uh, in the wake of what's been going on here in the United States in the last uh, couple of three years here. Uh, but, but Larry, certainly this was sort of uh, brought to perfection in countries like the, the former Soviet Union. We're seeing a lot of it, too, in Europe. Um, and this idea that, uh, as we said before, um, uh, instead of the government serving the people, the people serve the government. How does that, when we create that that God-neutral atmosphere and suddenly people are there to serve the government instead of the other way around, and we have exercised God from the public square, how does that, what does that picture look like? Paint that picture for our listeners. Sure. Uh, it, it, I, let me give a concrete example of, of what that looks like. Um, the kind of governments that appear in totalitarian regimes didn't happen by accident. They came about because uh, the people with the guns <laughs> were, were a people who had a different view of human life. And I want to be clear, most of them were people who believed very sincerely that their view was the correct view and that they were doing uh, uh, the world uh, a favor by doing what they did. People like Vladimir Lenin and Mao and Stalin and Paul Pot and, and so forth. Uh, and, and what it ultimately looks like is this. Um, you know, Thomas Jefferson, who was not himself a Christian, but who was unquestionably heavily influenced by, again, what I call the grace effect in my book, the grace effect, that is, by the presence of Christians. Uh, he, I mean, he had his own translation of the Bible, for heaven's sake, and, and required that it, that it be used uh, in his own teaching. Um, a guy like Jefferson is quoted as saying, it's better than, that, that ten uh, guilty men should go free than that one innocent man should be uh, um, imprisoned for something that he didn't do. Now, contrast that with, with the view in, let's say, Russia, for example. A few years ago, well, now it's been 12 years ago, in 1999, there were bombings that were taking place there um, by Chechens. Uh, who were protesting the war in their part of the world and, and, uh, and so conducting some terrorist acts in places like Moscow. Well, once they knew that it was somebody uh, from that region of the world who was conducting uh, these bombings, the Russian response was to arrest 11,000 people from that part of the world. Uh, the bombing stopped. But you see, they had, because they had no respect for individual life and liberty, they thought nothing of, of uh, taking that sort of action. So in contrast to, to Jefferson's view, here was a view that said it's better that, that, that 10,999 people who didn't do something should be arrested in order that we might catch the one who did. And all of this is born out of our view of humanity. And when you kick that block out, which is the foundation of Western culture as we know it, uh, what you're left with is, is, uh, is a world that's void of grace. You're left with a world that is, that is uh, uh, void of laws that have any anchor in the absolute. And so on what grounds do you protest your own government? All effective reform movements in the West have appealed to God. They've appealed to higher laws. 
the abolitionists did this, the reformers in Britain um, did this, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. did this. Uh, indeed, um, the founding fathers of this country did the same thing. But if you no longer acknowledge a higher power, to what court do you appeal when your government becomes a wicked and oppressive regime? Well, and as you point out in that example, it's the difference between revenge versus justice. Uh, Absolutely. Somebody commits a crime and they say, you know, we want to bring about justice. And so we're going to interview and research and investigate until uh, we're able to either ascertain exactly who the culpable parties are or going to smoke them out, so to speak, or they're willing to come forward as opposed to, well, somebody has done something here that's wrong. And so in order to um, eke out not justice, but revenge, if nobody comes forward, that's okay. Shoot them all. I mean, Stalin, as you point out, was, was infamous for this kind of thing. Uh, there at one point was the notion that there had been uh, some, uh, well, I'll put it this way, there had been a lack of full commitment to some of the commands of the, the commander-in-chief, uh, Joseph Stalin, during World War II, and um, uh, there was kind of the feeling at the time that a couple of key battles, specifically some of the fighting for Stalingrad, had been lost because of it, and the answer to all of that uh, was not to try and bring those that did not follow his orders uh, to justice, but rather just kill everybody, which he did. And and he ended up wiping out thousands of key military leaders that many argue uh, was a significant setback uh, to Russia's ability to effectively defend itself against the Germans in the Second World War. Of course, uh, you and I know that the, the rebuttal to that would be to say this, oh, that's so unfair. That's just one madman. But no, it isn't just one madman. This is this is the result of an entire culture that comes off of the rails. And the result is, and my daughter Sasha, having lived, um, or herself being the, the product of this kind of Soviet thinking, uh, I mean, Ukraine is, is, has been uh, the, uh, you know, uh, uh, what shall I say, the, the redheaded stepchild to, uh, uh, to, the, to Russia for centuries. Um, that the result was that to put it even more flesh-and-blood terms, is the complete degradation and the devaluing of human life. Let me use another example that was recently in the news. Perhaps your listeners are aware of this video that, that went viral on the Internet and made big news of a, a, a child in China where the cameras on the street caught images of a, of a toddler who wandered out into the road, was hit by a van. The van backed over the child, and then when they realized they'd hit a child, they drove off. Eighteen people, the cameras recorded 18 people who walked by and saw this child crying and the blood pooling around her. Another vehicle came along and whack, hit her again, and killed her. Now, that is a horrifying story, but it raises some interesting questions. Was this just a unique event in China? Well, we now have discovered that there are other reports coming from all over China that it isn't unique. And Americans, whether they're Christians or not, they hear a story like this, and they're horrified by it. But why are they horrified by it? They're horrified by it because whether they want to acknowledge it or not, they are deeply influenced by the Christian understanding of what human life is, and we don't treat it like roadkill. And so, to answer your, your, your question of, of a few minutes ago, what does a world look like when it is absent Christian influence? That's what it looks like. It looks like a place where the government doesn't care for people and people 
don't care for people. Let's pause on that point. We're going to come back to more of our conversation. KFAX listeners are intimately aware and and uh, familiar with the story that Larry shared of what happened in uh, the, the south of China here about three weeks ago. Memory served me right. Uh, and as you'll know at the time, I, I articulated my absolute utter disbelief that someone would would commit an action of hit and run like that. And clearly, when you saw the video, you saw the, the, the van hit the child, roll over the child, the driver pause for a moment, think, did I hit something? Maybe I did, maybe I didn't, and then proceed on and roll over the child a second time. If that wasn't horrific enough in and of itself, that, as Larry points out, 18 passersby over the course of about 12 minutes walked past that child as the blood was pooling below her and made no effort to do anything, summons anyone, contact authorities, absolutely nothing. Which I think is a very apropos example of what the influence of atheistic communism does to the very soul of mankind. We'll pause on that point and come back with more. A look at the grace effect, how the power of one life can reverse the corruption of unbelief. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Several years ago, a friend of the family began complaining about, well, I think a lot of the symptoms that tend to be associated with reaching uh, midlife or, you know, uh, approaching the other side of 50. That included such things as feeling tired and sluggish all the time. It's the old saying, my, my get up and go, got up and went. Uh, a feeling as if uh, there were sluggishness in, in memory, things of this sort. Well, upon visiting with a doctor and running the typical battery of tests, Everything was discussed from you're not gaining adequate, you know, getting an adequate amount of sleep every night. You need to change your diet to try this pill, so on and so forth. It took the doctors well over a year to finally come full circle to what was really at the cause of the fact that this person couldn't lose weight no matter how hard they tried, um, was dealing with headaches constantly, mental sluggishness. And again, that just overwhelming feeling of, of, of lethargia. Well, it turned out it was thyroid disease. Sadly, a good percentage of people are misdiagnosed. And even once diagnosed with thyroid disease, they don't always receive the kind of treatment that they need. Well, we've invited tonight Dr. John Dong to join us. He is the founder of the East Bay Thyroid Institute, to give us some insights as to what exactly thyroid disease is, how it affects the body, and most importantly, what's available out there for the cure. Dr. Dong, is always great to have you on the program. Hi, Craig. Yes. We um, talk about the issue of thyroid disease, and maybe for the benefit of some listeners, let's start with a couple of definitions. First, when we talk about thyroid disease or thyroid disorders, what exactly are they? Um, thyroid uh, disorder is like... Um Conventionally, the way that we measure like um, thyroid is uh, using the blood test called TSH, which is a thyroid stimulating hormone. The way that um, people are being treated is that when um, when the thyroid is high, then you get synthroid, which is levothyroxine, which is the medications uh, uh, for taking care of the problem. But the problem is that can it be elsewhere that's causing your thyroid symptoms? Can it be the hypothalamus? Can it be 
um, in their pituitary gland, thyroid gland, or the liver, uh, the liver, or even the gut, or could it be a Hashimoto, which is an autoimmunity condition that is attacking your own immune system, is attacking the underlying cause of the thyroid symptoms. So it can be elsewhere because people are struggling just taking a look at the TSH and then um, being uh, met, uh, like medicated just based on their one lab test, TSH, but we have to be careful. We have to look elsewhere to find the underlying reason for the symptoms. And majority of the people that are suffering from the thyroid um, symptoms right now are um, immune system, which is the autoimmunity. And, and the autoimmunity, explain that in terms of what's going on uh, from the epidemiological standpoint in the body that, that there is an imbalance taking place in the way the body's natural autoimmune system is functioning. What's happening? Um, so the thing is that um, the, bo- the immune system is off balance, right? So we need to find out why is the immune system is off balance. Um, so there, there will be testing that we will be able to identify uh, their autoimmunity. Um, there's blood tests that we can do to identify their, um, their uh, autoimmunity. And also, like, we need to find out what is the triggers of autoimmunity. Like right now, we heard of the word gluten. The gluten is a buzzword. Why is gluten a, a big um, issue? Because of their gut. We understand that 80% of the immune system is in the gut. So the first thing that we need to look uh, very detailly, duly, is looking at the gut system. What is going on with this custom? Do we have a leaky gut? Or is there any food sensitivity that would causing the inflammatory process in the gut? When, you, when your gut is in, um, has the inflammatory process is inflamed, the body will tend to attack itself. That's the triggers of the autoimmunity. So there may be aspects going on within the American diet today, and we know based on the level of obesity in the country today, the amount of processed foods that we're eating and so forth, uh, America overall isn't healthy. And the problem now, as you're suggesting in the case of thyroid disease, where the autoimmune system suddenly now essentially turns and attacks itself, it, it really is is the body attacking itself thinking that it's fighting some sort of an outside enemy when, in fact, what it's doing is it's going after, in this case, the thyroid itself. Is there something going on here, doctor, then, in terms of our diet that is tricking the body into thinking, "Uh uh-oh, here's an outside enemy that I need to come in and attack? Yes. The the triggers is, um, a lot of times, the the triggers, um, it would start with the guts. Once the body is recognized um, and start attacking the gut lining. So what it does is that it has the potential to attack elsewhere. And in, in the thyroid case, it would attack the thyroid. So um, it would attack the thyroid. So that that's why the, um, when you're doing the blood test with the Hashimoto, the Hashimoto is the name for the autoimmunity is attacking the thyroid. So mm-hmm. that is what's happening, is that it triggers. There's a triggers of autoimmunity. And in most, in most um, cases, it starts with the gut, so that's the, something that we have to look out and we have to check and very, we have to do um, extensive testing to find out what is going on, what is the cause of the issue. The typical approach within the profession, once a diagnosis of thyroid disease has been made, um, is to look at a number of 
attempts by doctors to bring balance back to the system, including hormone therapy. But we we hear from a lot of patients that say, I've been on hormone therapy for weeks or months or years. Nothing seems to be happening. This feeling of lethargy that I have still continues to linger. What, What is lacking in the singular approach that some physicians take to simply look at well, you need to have some hormone replacement therapy here. That's going to fix the problem. Why doesn't that always work? Yeah, because it's, it's, it's dealing with the symptom. It's dealing with one issue, which is the TSH. But the thyroid, the system um, is more complicated than that. It is not the TSH alone. We need to find out the underlying cause of the issue. Like I said earlier, it can be in the liver. It can be in the gut. It can be in the hypothalamus, in pituitary gland. And also, more importantly, we need to identify their underlying cause, which is uh, autoimmunity. And if you just take the replacing hormones, the whole system is not being fixed. And as a matter of fact, is that if you just take the the um, synthroid or medications for for the thyroid, if it were a underlying cause, it's autoimmunity. You are there to promote more diseases because the underlying cause of the problem is never is never taking place, it never solved. So people are suffering. Why why am I um, why why my blood test is normal? My TSH is normal and I keep having this thyroid symptoms and then I'm getting worse. My cholesterol level is gaining higher. Now I'm pre diabetic or become diabetic, my hypertension I need to take more hypertension, anxiety I need to take um, antidepressant medications, and the, the list goes on. People are suffering because the real underlying causes of the issue has never been addressed. It's not just the um, replacing hormones. Some people have results like, oh, when they start taking the replacing hormones, and on the first uh, couple months it works, and then all of a sudden it's not working anymore. I feel the same um, uh, compared to uh, if I'm not taking their um, the replacing hormone. All right, let's pause on that point. We'll come back to more of our conversation. Today on this edition of Lifeline, Dr. John Dong is with us, founder of the East Bay Thyroid Institute. A brief timeout, an update on traffic, then back with more as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And welcome back to our conversation. If you've just joined us on this edition of Lifeline, our conversation is with Dr. John Dong. He's founder of the East Bay Thyroid Institute. We talked about the issue once before when you were with us on the program last time, Dr. Dong, and that is on on the topic of looking at not just a singular contributor to what's going on with the thyroid that's triggering this body's autoimmune response, but that it could happen at multiple levels. In other words... Uh, this may be diet in nature that could relate to maybe food allergies or sensitivities of one sort or another. The other thing that I think you had mentioned last time was that oftentimes just lifestyle in terms of uh, stress can also be a contributing factor here too, can't it? Yes, stress is one of the contributing factors because when you uh, when your body is stressed, um, their, your system gets shut down. The immune system gets weaker. So the um, stress is one of the contributing factors. And also the adre- uh, stress is part of the adrenal gland, right? Um, adrenal make cortisone. Cortisone is the stress um, 
hormones. So what happens is that stress is the contributing factor. Also, the blood sugars. Like, the, um, why is the blood sugars? Because number one stressor in the body is the blood sugars. When your blood sugars is altered, um, if, if it's too high or is going down too low, it is one of the stress in your system. And um, there's other organs like the the colon, the stomach, the, and the rest of the body because our body, our system is all interconnected. One is relating to the other. So when we un- we need to un- uh, unwind and to solve the thyroid issue, we have to take a look at the whole system and unwind the whole system one knot at a time. So we're really making ourselves, we're, we're, we're doing a disservice when we allow an attempt by some within the healthcare profession to singularly try and approach this treatment of uh, thyroid disease with, for example, hormone therapy, when what that really is doing is addressing a symptom, not the cause. It's like saying, I've got severe back pain. If I just take more Motrin, that'll fix it, and therefore suggesting maybe what, that we have a um, uh, a, a, a Motrin deficiency <laughs> in our body. When yeah. we know it's just simply masking other underlying factors. And so as you're suggesting then, what you would do in your practice then is to unwind like we sort of uh, peel back the layers of an onion to get down to the root cause and find out, and is it true with a lot of your patients, that you see there might be a multiplicity of contributing factors? In other words, some of it might be stress-related, some of it might end up being dietary in nature that all ultimately kind of conspires upon one to create the problems with the thyroid? Yes, we have to address those, the, the, the diet, the exercise, the detoxification, because we have a... Um, so the, what I did is I call it like the five pillar of health. So we need to address all the, the aspect of health, exercise, the diet, nutrition, um, detoxification, all those, in, and hormones, all those five pillars of health in order to have our body being balanced so we cannot neglect. Right now, our doctors always said that there's only two solutions to any health issue is exercise and diet, but there's more to it. What happened to the hormones? So we have to check uh, for uh, the hormones, not only the, um, the T3, which is the uh, um, T3 and T4, and also the hormones, the estrogen, the estradiol, uh, and then the t- t- uh, testosterone, and uh, the rest of the hormones. We need to address all those and um, check it. The best way is to to not guess on your health is to do the appropriate tests to identify the, the underlying reason, the underlying cause of um, your health issue. You are offering to folks that are suffering with this. Maybe they've already been diagnosed and they have tried the hormone replacement therapy. That hasn't worked. The symptoms continue. The sense of lethargy and, and all that seems to be buffeting them continues to run unabated. Uh, you're offering right now a free consultation. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, the, uh, the free consultation, the first thing as a doctor, the first thing that you have to do is that listen to the patient's symptoms. So the first thing that I would do is that I would, um, you would fill out like eight pages um, information so I would know more about you and your health and your symptoms. I always focus on the symptoms because the symptoms are real. So I can focus on, on that and then uh, help you to identify the problem. So the first is that I want to give you, uh, like, uh, thyroid sufferers a chance um, 
to meet with me one-on-one so I can help them to identify their uh, the underlying reason for the thyroid conditions. So I would spend some time um, going over their needs during the consultations. And then the consultation is really designed to get to give you information as to what the symptoms look like, how long that they've been suffering, to what degree and what extent they've perhaps received previous treatment that heretofore largely has been unsuccessful, and then ultimately put together a plan of a, a plan of action, so to speak, that then yeah. will allow a person to finally begin addressing not just the symptoms but the underlying root cause. Yes, and I would give them based on what I um, collect from the consultations. I would give them a plan of action. What are the next steps that we need to do together? What type of tests that we um, we need to order? I would be just to tell them, patients straight off, I cannot be responsible for your health. I can um, be responsible with you. You have to do all the work um, to get yourself better. I can coach you. I can mentor you. I can support you through the, the, the process. The ultimate, the healing is inside your, your body. It's there already. We need to allow it to be your body to heal. If at the end of the day you are frustrated in dealing with the symptoms and you have been maybe in previous, you have gone to other doctors and you keep getting either no answers or answers that don't get to the root cause and you're just frustrated, uh, why don't you end that trail of frustration? I want to encourage you to get more information. Uh, Dr. Dong, as we mentioned, is offering a free consultation to the first 25 callers. Now, this is a $287, almost $300 value, and it's yours free for the asking. He has two Bay Area locations, and you can call him right now. Simply call 800-524-2348. That's 800-524-2348. You also have a pretty exhaustive tutorial on your website, Dr. Dong, that will help people walk through the list of symptoms to begin to identify whether or not perhaps they are dealing with an issue of thyroid disease that they're not aware of. And then a pretty exhaustive look at many of the options that are available to patients to address the underlying causes. And folks can get that information on your website at eastbayfyroiddoctor.com. That's eastbayfyroiddoctor.com. Or again, they can call for that consultation. Your offices are in uh, Dublin. And remind me, where else? And uh, in Dublin and in Fremont. In Fremont. That's right. How could I forget that? Dublin and in Fremont. And again, uh, right now, this consultation is absolutely yours, free for the asking. Doctors don't even do house calls anymore, let alone offer free consultations. But the success rate that Dr. Dong has had with his patients is so remarkable that he really feels compelled to help offer this free consultation for patients that have been suffering with thyroid disease for years or you've just run out of answers. Doctors have run out of answers and you just know you're sick and tired of being sick and tired and you want somebody that can give you a whole new perspective as to what might be going on in your system and most importantly, the natural path in order to address the underlying causes that ultimately you can get back on the road to good health. 800-524-2348. That's 800-524-2348. And doctor, that free consultation is available whether listeners are closer to your Dublin office or your Fremont office. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. They can always 
um, call that number, um, and then also visit our website to get more information. Yeah, your um, website, I'll mention for listeners again, I've spent quite some time on your website. Your website is one of the most thoroughly detailed websites on the topic of thyroid, thyroid disease, the causes, the symptoms, all of that that's anywhere out there. So uh, check that out, eastbaythyroiddoctor.com. That's eastbaythyroiddoctor.com. And again, with a sense of urgency but no obligation, 800-524-2348. Again, that's 800-524-2348. We'd like to thank Dr. John Dong for being with us on this segment of Lifeline. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. 